Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. Freedom. Freedom is uh, something, you know, uh, the first song we sang, I was going through some prophetic words this morning getting ready for this. And there's a, there's a, a series in my prophetic words that just says freedom and then free this and free that and freedom this. And so getting those words back out and study them, you know, it's just part of our DNA. If you were to draw some of those things back up, you might see that that's just part of the spirit of the Lord inside you. Because as the song says, the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so once he sends his spirit onto us, once we get baptized, accept Jesus, our savior, and that spirit comes to us, it's just a matter of freedom. This nation founded on freedom. It was founded from people coming into this nation, not only searching for freedom as we know it, but also freedom in religion, being free to practice the Bible and its true intent and its true meaning. So this nation has a double blessing on it. Not only do people come here for freedom away from politics and away from the whatever else that was going on, but they also stepped into this nation because they were trying to find religious freedom. And so I think that blessing just follows us throughout our histories. And so I want to wrap this up today with, you know, bringing you into a, hopefully this has brought you into a greater place of freedom. And hopefully some of the things I've said have brought some freedom through you. But above all, just know that God is for you and he wants to bring you into freedom. And that's kind of where we're just staying at. Luke 4, we talked about Luke 4. And so we'll go back to that here in a minute. But that was the mandate that Jesus came out with. And so way, 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 way before that was a guy named Job. And this is kind of a rough transition, but forgive me, I just thought of it this morning, so I had to sneak it in. But Job, Job was like the earliest Bible written in the, the earliest book written in the Bible. And so Job, if you know that story, he has all this wealth, all these things, all these wonderful things, giant family, giant huge thing. Then all of a sudden something came and took it all from him. I mean, it was gone in the blink of an eye. Everything taken from him, his wife, his kid, I think his wife still stayed, but he, all of his kids were taken from him, his barns, his pastures, his sheep, his cattle, his sons, I just, just taken from him. And so in that process, some friends come along and say, well, Job, it's because this happened. And well, Job, it's because that happened. And Job says, no, 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 I don't think any of that's true. And so finally, Job and God sat down. And God says, listen, Job, here's the deal. And, he, and if you never read that passage, it's Job uh, 40, it's a huge book, Job 41 and 42. Go through and take time to read that. But at the top of verse 42, Job 42, 1, is this just excellent, excellent proclamation about Job finally meeting God and finally understanding who God is. And so it's my prayer for you this week that you have this moment with God. If you've had some tough times, if you've had some good times, they're about to get better. God is going to bring you into a place where not only do you know about God, but you understand God. And that's a great place to be. I mean, it'll shake you to your knees to see how much God loves you. And so we start in verse 42, verse 1, it says, after God has showed Job how magnificent he is, he says, Job replies back, I know that you can do all things. 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Hear me now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees. He had heard about God. I mean, he didn't have a Bible back then, but somehow he and God had gotten to know each other. And he knew, he thought he knew how great God was. He thought he understood how great God was. And he had all these friends that also had their opinions, but something shook him to his knees to where he bowed down and he cried out, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. And it drove him to a place of loving repentance where he says, I thought I knew all things and I thought I believed one thing, but finally I've come into contact with you and it's hit me here. It's kind of like having head knowledge. A lot of times we, we, we spend a lot of time reading the word and we develop a head knowledge or we come to church and we listen to guys preach and we develop a head knowledge. But at some point we get a heart knowledge a heart knowledge of just how great God is, a heart knowledge of just what this book means, a heart knowledge of what it means when God says, I so loved you, I sent Jesus Christ to die for you. At some point, we come into that contact where these pages come alive. And that's a beautiful place to be. And that brings us back to freedom. Because once we get that understanding of just how great and magnificent God can move in our lives, how much healing he can do in here, how much he can take us into new things, that opens up an amazing amount of relationship I can come into understanding with. And so I pray for you that this week be the week that you walk into greater depths of knowledge and that freedom, that that freedom comes upon you in such a way that it frees you. We talked a little bit last week about things that can cause oppression. You know, there's all kinds of things that can come and oppress us and strip the belief right out of us. Sometimes it gets stripped out because it's false. Other times it gets stripped out because we need to, like Job, Just see how mighty God is. Sometimes we're held in captivity. There's things we can do to hold us in captivity in small places we can take up to hold us in captivity. And Jesus came to release us from that captivity. He came to bring us out of that. And so if you're in captivity and you're walking into something new, I mean, that's liberating, right? If I could put down something and pick up this, I mean, the freedom that courses through that interaction is just amazing about what God can do. And so I pray that verse of Job over you this week that you just find out how much Jesus loves you because it, it'll change your life. It, I mean, I, I love Jimmy John's. Anybody been to Jimmy John's? They got this sandwich there. That sandwich, I think it's the Italian nightclub. And it is a, I mean, it's a party. I mean, you eat that thing and you will never look at Subway again the same way. I pick up that sandwich And just like that sandwich, I mean, it will take you into a higher understanding of just how God can be. And so freedom, freedom is a good place. It's Jimmy John's, but it's good. I I mean, I I, I go too far anyway. Forgive me. Luke 4, Luke 4 is where we've been staying in this place of freedom. And it's Jesus picking up this mandate. He, He, They hand him a scroll. Jesus opens the scroll, and he picks this verse out that talks about the Messiah. And so that's automatically linking him to these Old Testament verses that I'm the guy that's coming. I'm the guy that's been sent here to free you. Don't look for anything else. And so picking up those verses, it picks him up as an identity that he is the Messiah. And not only does that, but it sets him on a mission, right? It's like having a mission statement today. What are you about? What are you going to do? And so within that framework, we go about doing our business. And so Jesus picks up this mission and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives, recovery of the sight of the blind, to free those who are oppressed. And he ends it with this, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I mean, that's what Jesus does. He comes into our lives and he releases us out of captivity. He opens our eyes, brings us out of oppression. And then once you get free, I mean, the favor can pour out on you. And you can walk in ways you never thought you could walk before. It's an amazing thing that can happen once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so I pray that if you're struggling with something, that this comes upon you this week, that you get into a place where you can cry out, oh my God, free at last, free at last, because it'll change your life. And I'd like to focus, I think, on the first part of this verse and the last part of this verse. We kind of went to the meat of it these last two weeks. And so I'd like to focus where it talks about preaching the gospel to the poor and the favor of the Lord. And before we get started, let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance just to be in this building today with air conditioning on this hot day, Lord, we just ask that your shade would be on us as we go through this weekend. We thank you. We just thank you for just working in our lives, working in our hearts and moving mountains, Lord. We just ask that this be the week, Lord, that our hearts cry out, I thought I knew you, but now I know that I know you. Not only that, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be up here. It's been life-changing for me and blessing to me, and I just thank you for that place. And I ask that you allow this church to continue to grow, that you continue to pour your spirit in here where they come from all over the place just to meet you. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. All right, so we're talking about this Luke 4, Luke 4. He talks about he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, on the surface level, when you see poor, we obviously think of finances. But back in Jesus' time, it meant something different. If you were poor, it could mean that you didn't have any money. It could mean you were poor in spirit because you didn't quite catch on to the name of Jesus Christ or because he hadn't come yet. But it also meant that you weren't Hebrew. And so Jesus coming into that picture is opening a gate because originally, that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Abraham had sons, and he had seeds that were as many as the stars of the sky, right? He made a promise to Abraham. And so these people picked up that promise, and they said, this is just for us. This is just for us. And so Jesus coming into that place says, this isn't just for you. It's for everybody. You're missing the point. You're missing the point of my creation. And so in that him clarifying that is saying that all can come to me. Because you see in the Bible later on in the New Testament, it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it opens up to say, this is what I meant. This is what you see before you as I'm bringing all these people. In fact, Jesus said, there's other people I have to go gather before the end comes. And so he's moving into these places by declaring that I've come to reach the poor. Because what the Hebrews in that time didn't understand was, it wasn't the blood of Abraham that was going to save them. It wasn't that lineage of Abraham that was going to bring them into heaven. They had to get outside of that. And Jesus said, here, try this on for size. And he came to the earth, he taught about the word, and then he spilt his own blood in place of that. I mean, here are people standing up saying, well, you can't come to heaven. I mean, they didn't even have evangelism. If you study the church back then, there was no evangelism. They didn't go out trying to find people to come into church because either you were a descendant of Abraham or you weren't. And if you weren't, you weren't getting into heaven. And here's Jesus coming in to liberate those captives. That's not the theology because what they failed to miss is when God created the earth, he created it with a breath of life. He created us with a breath of life. And so it was the breath of life that holds meaning, that holds value, that gives us purpose and that releases identity. Because if he can breathe freedom into me, I can go out here and be free. 
It wasn't the fact that I was born of Abraham, born of... And that's the reason you see these genealogies in the Bible, because if they could prove who they were, they were in like Flynn. I mean, if they could prove that I belonged to this guy, that woman, this guy, and this guy, then I get into heaven, and I could, be a, I could be one of these people, one of these chosen people. And that's not the way Jesus works. He doesn't work just to pick out a handful of people and say, you know, I'm just going to breathe life on these people. And you have to be of this lineage to get into heaven, and you have to be in this lineage to get something special. It's kind of like the, uh, the families that founded this, some of the giant families that came into this nation. And you know, if you had the, Rock, the last name Rockefeller, anybody remember that name? I mean, they ruled the world back in the day with their iron and, their, and, and, and the industry. If I could prove that I descended from Rockefeller, I could lay, hang, lay claim to that inheritance. And Jesus said, that's not the way I do my kingdom. The way I do that kingdom is I made man. Man is special. The breath of me is inside every living human being. I just need you to, I just need you to identify it. I need you to step into it. I need you to recognize it. And I think that's part of what's missing is when Jesus says... I came to set the captives free. I came to set you free from that, from that thought that only special people get into heaven. I came to break you free of that special thought that only special people get good things on this earth. I came to break you free of that thought that it's just a certain group. Everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And so doing so, and I've said this before, is we pick up an identity becoming children of God. And if I can believe I'm a child of God and I can walk out of that oppression, then it's on. I can really get into some things once I pick up that identity. Once I, once I say that I belong to him and he's my father, he's my creator, he's my redeemer. Because of him, I have these things. Because of the verses in his Bible, I can pick up promises and use them. And last week, we revealed that the word belief when actually translated, it kind of looks like pistols in the, in the Greek. If I can pick up my Bible verses and use them like a pistol, man, what's possible? What's possible then? If God says that it's the breath of life in you that matters, what's possible then? It's not some lineage. It's not some, I'm counting on so-and-so to get me into heaven. It's I'm counting on Jesus to get me into heaven. And so in picking up that title and picking up that identity, we got to remember these other verses. John 8, 36, Jesus says, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. If he makes you free, you're free. Don't pick up those shackles. Don't pick up those things. Just walk in freedom. We're going to make mistakes. God's okay with that. That's called grace. In Mark 9, 23, and we talked about this last week with that word believe being almost the same as faith. In the Greek, it looks like pistols. He says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father fell to his knees and cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes that unbelief gets us into places where we fail to recognize just how magnanimous God has made us to be, just how true this word is, just how wonderful it can be. We tend to forget because it just pushes us out of us that this word is living, breathing. It's able to accomplish things we can never imagine if we'll just pick it up and believe it, if we'll set and look at it and frame our day and our hope around it, then all else fails in comparison. It's kind of like Job. You come into that place where you're just on your knees, my God, my God, I knew of you, but now I really know of you. And because of that, I'm a changed man forever. And so in that place, Jesus, you know, Satan came along 
And he was tempted right before that verse in Luke 4. He was tempted. Satan came down and said, if you'll just bow to me, I will give all this to you. And so here was this created being, this angel, saying, you know what? I'm going to become like the Most High God. And Jesus said, no, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to bow down to you. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, he says, well, I'm from Abraham. God promised Abraham all these things, and so I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to inherit all those things. Jesus said, no. Jesus came on the scene and said, I will become like the most low so that I can get you back to heaven. I will become, and here, here's the, I mean, he's, I don't want to bend your mind because it hurts, but thinking of, you know, God three in one, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father, I mean, that bends your brain just a little bit. So I don't want to talk about that today, but I do want to say he was part of God. He was part of God. He came to earth, and he said, I will become like the most low so that you can get free. I will become like the most low. I mean, it's a position of the heart. It's a position of the flesh. It's a position of the mind that says, I'm going to become a servant. And I was sitting there talking to Matt Johnson, the guy that's coming to preach in a couple weeks this week, and I was trying to work my brain around this. And he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. He goes, oh, Philippians 2. I said, oh, yeah, Philippians 2. And right now you're thinking, what's Philippians 2? And so here it is. Have this attitude in yourselves. And it's not going to appear on the sky, Bob, because I just want you to hear it this morning. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death to the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." And Jesus picking up that passage out of Luke 4, he says, I come to set you free. I don't ask that you sit here and bow down to me, worship me. I come to set you free. That's described in this passage in Philippians. He took to the point of being a man, suffered the tumult of going through that earthly existence where people spat on him, cursed him, put him on a cross so that we could get free. I mean, that's laying down ourselves so that other people can have. That's laying, I mean, it's like being a parent. We go without so that our kids can have. It's a natural tendency. It's a natural reaction we have. I don't want them to suffer, so I'm going to take their place. And so these are all God-given tendencies in our life. These are all God-given ways in our life as opposed to the world. Because we've all had those bosses just like Satan. They'll walk into your meeting and say, I'm the manager now. This is how we're going to do things. Sometimes it's needed, but just walking in and saying, I'm the boss, this is what you're going to do now, barely gets any reactions. I mean, it's going to get you the bad reactions. Or we've had those, those moments in our lives where we've said, well, I'm here now. All else pales in comparison to me. I mean, we've, we've had those ego trips, and, and Jesus led from a much different place. Now, trust me, Jesus knows you're not Jesus. He knows that I'm not Jesus. He knows that I'm not God. God knows that I'm not Jesus. And so we got grace. But the grace is, is we pick up those places and say, I could do a better job. I can become a better person. How? Just like Jesus did. I'm going to serve my fellow man. I'm going to pick up the gifts that God has given me. I'm going to walk into a place that allows other people to get free. 
I'm going to live my life in such a way that other people get free. And that's an amazing place to be because once you pick that up, it takes the pressure off of you. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to walk in this place, and, and, and God's favor, God's love, God's word is going to fall on it. Because if I'm doing what he asked me to do, if I'm doing what he's blessed me to do, then his word at some point has to interact with my faith and things are going to turn out the way he wants. Sometimes we've got to take my hands off the wheel. Sometimes I've got to just let God's word have its effect, but I've got to get in there first. It's kind of like when you're driving. When they first teach you how to drive, you're sitting there driving with the steering wheel and you're looking over the dash of the car thinking, oh my gosh, and the whole time the car's going this way and that way and you don't know it because you're just trying to... And they tell you, get your eyes on the horizon. Don't they? Keep your eyes on the horizon. Once I get my eyes on the horizon, my driving straightens out a little bit. It's funny how that reacts. My, my hands become obedient to my eyes. And then I can avoid hazards without jerking the whole car to death, without throwing people for a loop or stepping on that brake too many times or giving somebody whiplash. Once I got my eyes on the horizon, my driving is pretty good. And don't ask my wife. She'll tell you different. But I, I, I like to drive, and I like to drive fast, but that's neither here nor there. But once I get my eyes off of those immediate surroundings and this immediate place that I think I know and I trust God, the whole road ahead of me opens up. It's a walk of faith, and faith is no different than anything else on this planet. I walk in the house every day, I flip on a light switch, and I just expect the lights to come on. I go to my car, I put a key on, I just expect my car to work. I give my kids money, I expect them responsibility with it, or I, or I tell them that I love, and I expect them to remember that. That's all faith. It really is. Me standing on this stage thinking it's going to hold me up, how do I know it's going to hold me up? Well, I've walked on it a couple times. Just like faith... I speak the word of God over my circumstances and I can walk over it because I've been there a few times. I've seen a few things. I know what it means to step up on this stage. It's going to hold me. It's not going to fall through the floor. It's the same thing with these verses. I can count on certain things to work because I believed in them. I picked them up and I breathed them over my circumstances. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'll walk in through a hard place I know that a shepherd is somehow going to interact with my faith of walking through these hard places. I don't know exactly what all that details, but I know that somehow God is guiding force in my life, and I recognize that. And that's the favor of the Lord coming upon us. The last part of Luke 4 says the favorable year of the Lord. Once I pick up that faith and realize that I'm his child, that's the favor coming into interaction in my life that his grace can fall on, that his mercy can fall on, because I've recognized him as the king of kings. Not because he came down here and demanded it, just like Satan did. Not like the world did, but because he came to set me free. And once I realize that, it pushes me to a place like Job. I thought I knew God, but now I know God. Because I saw his word come alive in my life. And we've all reached hard places. We've all been through struggles. We've all tried it before. The problem is we can't form theology out of it. I prayed for millions of people. I love praying. Part of what we do is this ministry team that meets up here after Sunday service. I pray for people's healings. I pray for dogs to come back. I've prayed over so many people in this church, in this community, and over in places in Amarillo. Have I seen everybody instantly healed? No. David Brannon's a great example. I love David Brannon. He'd be up here every Sunday helping us pray over this church that you set in. 
He got cancer in his body, and I prayed over him. I put hands on him. I had, you know, faith that God was going to do something. David Brandon still died of cancer. I'm not going to form a bad theology out of that. Because God says, if you do these things, these things will happen. i got to take my eyes and my hope of what my hands and my mind believes and believe in the Word of God in that situation. That because of his passing, something good's going to happen. Because all things happen for my good if I'm in him. All things happen to the Brandons for their good because of their belief in him. And so I'm not going to form false theology just because my hands didn't heal somebody. I'm going to keep praying because the alternative is worse. The alternative is, well, that's a good man. I didn't do anything to help. I took him some bread, took him some plates. I said I'd pray for him. The alternative to that is I'm going to get in that situation and I'm going to do something and I'm going to hope that my God does what I want. But what if that's not what he wants? I mean, I can't form bad theology about things not working out the way I want. I got to trust in him. Once we realize we're children of God, once we realize that we have a word that brings life and life more abundantly and works, and it's all a matter of faith and belief, but if I use it the way God asked me to use it, it's going to become a place of freedom where you can break out of things. It's going to move you from a place of despair into hope. It's going to move you out of a place of I hope to I witnessed. Because that's what the Word of God does. Sometimes it takes time because we're stubborn people. There's no stubborn in me. I mean, I'm just, you know, I just accept everything at face value. My wife will tell you different. I will, I will dig a ditch until I hit China before I call somebody for help. I just, it's, it's a bad quality I have. But sometimes I got to go through that process to understand just how great God is or just how so much somebody loves me. Sometimes I got to go through that process just to break off the inner man in me, to realize how strong I am, how God created me to be something more and something better. Because once I pick that up, I can move into much different conversations with God. Once I get off the, oh, woe is me, because that's what Job did. Job and his friends, oh, woe is me. They took, all, they took everything from me. I'd be in that place too. I'm human. What am I going to do next with it? Have a conversation with God. And God's going to tell me how great he is and how wonderful he is because he wants us to see just how, magne how magnificent he is. And then my conversations can become different. They can become... God, what are we doing this season? God, what do you want me to do to help this person? If you picked up some spiritual gifts, maybe you're going to ask, what's a word I can give this person to cheer them up, to encourage them, or to bring them consolation? Maybe they need healing. God, what do you want me to do with this person? They're hurting. How can I help them? Lay your hands on them and pray for them. Give them a good word. Give them a word of encouragement that brings them up out of the depths. You can start having those conversations with God once you pick up these other places. Satan didn't want to pick up those other places. There's people in our world who want you to become enslaved. And they'll say, if you work 40 hours a week, I'm going to give you a paycheck. If you come in and work 80 hours a week, just think of all the money you'll have. Well, if you don't come in, you're not getting that money. And all of a sudden, we get in this trap where our identity is caught up in false places. Our identity is caught up in, I got to work harder. I got to be gooder. I got to be better. I got to get more blood of Abraham inside of me. I got to pick up those identities that are false. I've done it. I may have a paycheck at the end of the week, but you know what are my kids doing at home? It's a hard, it's a hard place to be because I've got to provide, but I also got to trust the Word of God who says, I will provide for you. 
I will provide for you. I also got to trust that place where God says, I will heal you. I got to trust those places where it says that I will get you free and you can stay free. And once doing so and getting that truth inside me, it opens up a whole other dimension. And I think that's what Paul talks about when he talks about we got to stop talking about the milk and get to the meat. I've got to be able to engage you in a way that you're an unmovable force on this planet in my word, and a movable force to those around you, that you bring a spirit into the room that changes the atmosphere, that your presence in a place changes the way we do things, that your presence in a place causes my freedom to open up for others. Because that's what God needs. This day and hour, I've talked about this, and I don't want to sound like some superstitious conspiracy theory guy, but there's forces moving against the church. There's forces moving against humanity. It's not that so much they're against the church. They just don't like people. They want to be in charge, just like Satan. I will lift myself up to the most high and get all the money, and you know this is how we're going to have fun. And then we come to a realization, just like Solomon did, that that's not really fun at all. i got to move in this place where God has opened me up to enjoy this beautiful temple that David left me. And so I started this whole series up talking about heritages, My family came to the New World, at least part of them tried to come to the New World back when the Puritans came over. And so, trying to escape the Church of England, you know, we got the Mayflower. The Mayflower came and the pilgrims set up and it was a rough time for them. But my family was supposed to be part of that voyage and their ship caught a leak and they had to go back. But there's this heritage inside of me of people trying to get free. There's this position within me where I love freedom. And I have that passed down from generation to generation. Plus, I live in America. We love freedom. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. We love that. And that's good because freedom can set other people free. But your heritage, once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, extends past, just like Abraham's people. It extends past what we see and it takes over the world around us. And once you accept Jesus Christ, this also becomes part of your heritage. Just to give you an idea. Noah was told to build an ark in a time when they never had any rain. I get the idea back in that story that it never rained, and all of a sudden, God says, Noah, go build an ark. Well, what am I building an ark for? What's this thing called rain? What's going to happen? So he built the ark, and finally the world flooded. Out of faith, and no one ever said Noah, and he wasn't an architect. God had to give him the plans. So somehow he learned how to build an ark in a time when there was no rain and anticipate rain coming. Abraham was visited by angels more than once. Jacob, one of his sons, actually wrestled with an angel. Joseph had dreams, and we'll talk about dreams some other time. Not only did he have dreams, but he could interpret dreams and give wisdom and understanding to those around him because of the dreams they were having. This is all part of your heritage. Gideon took a fleece, said, God, if that's really you, I'm going to lay this on the ground, and part of it will be wet and part of it won't. Okay, well, that wasn't really you, and he tried it again, and God honored that. He also whittled down an army to 300 men and overtook the enemy, smashed them. How? Because they had a dream. That dream so scared them that Gideon and his 300 men never even had to fight because God took care of the circumstances. Jehoshaphat, he was a reformer back in the kingdom, also had that same quality. He said at one point, 
He was complaining to the people around him. He said, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of one country, and behold, they are with another country. So there's three countries coming against you. And that scared him to death, scared me to death. God said, hey, I just want you to go out singing. Well, they're coming to kill us, and you want us to go out singing? They went out singing, and the armies fled. Three countries coming to attack, and they all fled just because they worshiped. Daniel shut the mouth of lions. Mary gave birth to a virgin. Peter walked on water. Philip outran a chariot. Peter and Paul were broke out of prison by angels. Peter, James, and John got to stand on a mountain with Moses and Elijah. This is all part of your heritage. This is all part of what's available to us once we accept Jesus Christ. Because in impossible circumstances, the impossible comes to life. I don't know how that happened. God did it. I don't know how I got this place. I don't know how I got to stand on this platform except for God did it. For some reason, Pastor Matt said, hey, you want to try this sometime? I said, well, yeah, I'd love to try that sometime. And so we went through this little process of him teaching me. And now here I am. I didn't go to school for this. It's not something I planned. They just said, hey, do you want to try this? Yeah. And so they gave me a little tutoring and said, here you go. God allowed this to happen in my life. I play you're blessed as much as I am by it because that's what happens. God makes the impossible become possible. He moves in ways you can never imagine. It's kind of like Bradley Branovic. It's a mountain of a man. Thank you for being here today. Your beautiful bride, in case you guys don't know. Bradley was raised in this church. And here he is today coming back to it before he goes off to get married. So thank you guys for coming to town. God bless you. And thank you for being here. Bradley Branovic. The only thing he was concerned about a couple years ago was going out and sacking a guy. I mean, there's, he was a beast. I got a picture of him picking up Emma when she was about this tall, and he was a beast. But now look at him. He's in the ministry. And not only that, he met a beautiful woman who's going to go into ministry, and they're going to do great things because of the places they walked out of, the impossible becoming possible in their lives. And there's much more stories of people I don't know in this room, the same thing would have happened. It's kind of like Michael being down here. Michael, I met Michael, what, five, six years ago? We were hanging out at a conference together about dispatching in Dallas. And now here we are worshiping together. Who knew that could happen? I didn't even know he knew where Panhandle was. And here we are together. God does these amazing things to bring people together, and he's going to change your life. You've been walking through hard places and tough places. God's preparing you for some good things. He's brought you through some heartache and some misery so that you would forget who you were and understand who you are in him because he's ready. Because together, you've sought ways to continue to seek him and believe in him that's going to change your lives. And sometimes we hold on to prophetic words. And over in Psalms 105, I don't know if it's David or somebody else talking, but he mentions Joseph. Joseph had a dream. And he had to wait for that to come apart. And sometimes that's a prophetic dream, is Joseph had this dream where all of his brothers were going to bow down to him. And so his mind got transfixed on this, where God took him way over here and said, that's not what that dream meant. This is what his dream meant. He was going to become second in charge of the entire known world. Because we try to guess at those things. We try to figure them out because we're human. But God says, looky here, look what I'm going to do. What you thought was this, I'm going to surprise you with this. You're in charge of everything. And it wasn't just everything, but he was in charge of making sure his family got fed through the worst famine in the world. 
And sometimes those hard times, those depression times, those times of oppression rip that right out of us because we say, God, my God, my God, when is this going to happen? And then it happens. And then you're like, Job, I thought I knew you, but now I know you. It'll blow your socks off, change your life. And that's what Jesus did. He came in and said, I'm going to get you free, and I'm going to take you into some favor. I'm going to take you, and it doesn't mean life is going to get great. We're not talking about champagne and donuts, because we're still going to have to, every once in a while, get to a bruised peach. But that means that when you're in that bruised peach, you have the sermon enough to flip the peach over and have the rest of the peach. We're still going to have hard times, but I'm going to walk into it in a whole different way. And studying those prophetic words, it opened me up to some places I never knew existed in my life. That I could be bold, that I could be confident, that I could go through fire and actually not only survive, but thrive. Because that's what the Word says. The Word says, my fire will fall on this, it's going to burn away all this, and my Word's going to be standing. That means I have to survive at the end to enjoy that. So even though I walk through the tough times, fire is going to fall on these things and burn off the chaff, and I'm going to arise in a much better position than I went through. And so realize God is bringing us through places so that we learn just how valuable we are, just how strong we can be, just how impossible it was, but because of him we moved into it. Just because we believed. And that's an amazing place to be. When I'm left, and all I'm left with is, my God, my God, how beautiful you are. It was so hard. And yet, what you've put before me is so beautiful. It's like that song, Beautifully Broken. I mean, you ever, you ever hear that song? I mean, it's a horrible thing for a guy to embrace. I don't want to be beautifully broken. But it's a place where everything that I thought I was supposed to be as a man comes off And God pours himself into that vessel, and I'm looking up at heaven thinking, my God, my God, how beautiful you are. Call the worship team up. When I first felt, I mean, I've been raised in the church my entire life. And one day I was sitting there thinking, you know, what am I going to do with all this biblical knowledge? And I've shared this with you before. And so I was traveling around the country doing various things, Thought of something I never thought was possible. And uh, all of a sudden, I went to hear Chuck Swindle preach. He's got a big old church over in Frisco. He's been around. He's like 150 years old. He's been doing books and radio forever. But he pulled out this verse, Romans 13. Romans 13, and it's a beautiful verse, especially if you love politics. Go through that verse. It'll wrestle with you. But halfway down... 1311, it says, do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us not behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife or jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the, lust, uh, for the flesh in regard to its lust. It had to be hard for Jesus coming down and being a man. It had to be hard for him to walk up those hills, take those stripes, and look out and see people curse him, cuss him, spit on him. Because he was there for them. 
Those hard times, it's hard to walk through. Those tough times, those transition times, sometimes hard for us to walk through. But if we're going to get to the promised land, we got to get there. And Paul urges us in Romans, do this knowing the hour. And if we were so close in Paul's time, how much more so close in our time? It's time for the hour for the wake, uh, for the sleeper to awake. It says that a couple different times in the Bible. It's time for the sleeper to awake. It's time for what's asleep inside of us to awake. Awake to the new reality that you were created on purpose and for purpose. It's time to realize that even though the flesh wanes because it doesn't have this or that, or because this didn't happen and that didn't happen, that here I am with this opportunity to do something with what did happen. Bless you. I got this saying sometimes I like to say, to get to the, to the milk on the cow, sometimes you've got to walk through the pasture, and that pasture can have thorns in it, cactuses, some other things you don't want to step in. But if I've got to get the milk, I've got to walk through all that. And it's the same thing with Jesus and believing. I've got to walk through those hard times in order to get to that sweet place where I know his word's going to come alive. I got to get through those hard times where there's nothing else left inside of me except for a tear saying, oh, dear Jesus, same place Jesus was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that at all. It's just a place where I say, I release myself to you, O Lord. And it's a beautiful, sweet surrender. And it's a place where I realize that he's going to breathe new life into me that changes my world together. That he's going to lift me up into a place that I never thought existed. Even though this happened, this occurred. And it's not just vain words, you know. The Bible encourages not to throw out just swift vanities. But when the word comes from God, it holds some weight, it holds some merit, and you feel it in here. It changes you. And so wherever you're walking today, whatever you've been through, know that God is for you. And even though things may happen contrary to what you thought was going to happen, you're still in a sweet, sweet spot. A spot where his fire can fall upon that burn away the chaff, and reveal the gold. Because there's gold in each of us waiting to be revealed. There's yet things that we've yet to see that we're going to see and experience just because we held on to that belief. Revival is coming to this nation. It's being shook to its core. People have left the church. People have sought out other religions, sought out other gods. But at the end of the day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because his word says so. And how do I know? Because I've walked in those places. I've walked in places where the boss said, hey, you know what? You don't have time for church. we got to go to work. That church thing doesn't work around here. This is the way we do life. I've walked in those places, and I had to repent. Because it, that didn't bring me salvation. That didn't even bring me hope. It brought me another bill. Because where there's a lot of money, you can find more bills. But his word of coming into my life and making something happen changed me to where I could walk out into a place and say, I can preach today. I can stand up here and confidently encourage you that God has worked in my life and he'll work in yours. I can stand up here to say, and say, even though I'm facing loss, God's going to bring something good out of it. He's going to restore something good. And that's an amazing place to be. So thank you for letting me be up here these last three weeks. It's been an honor and a privilege just to get to talk to you about Jesus. Come back next week. We'll have Joe Tyndall. And if you don't believe 
if you don't believe me, just show up. He's, he's a man. That dude, he's a mountain. But thank you for making the choice to be here. I pray that we've brought you some freedom. We'll call the ministry team up. We'll be over here for prayer if you need some prayer. But God is loving you. He, he wants you to feel loved because in that place, belief comes alive. If my daddy picks me up off my knees and says, yeah, that hurt. Let's get up and do that again or let's do this. I'm confident because his hand is on my back. I'm confident because he's got his hand over my life. And so this week, may it be the week that you experience one of those moments. My God, my God, look what's possible because you're walking. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.